coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Monday to you. A little dragon today. Uh, lots going on. We had Atlanta Pride over the weekend. Lots of uh, activities between uh, the festival at Piedmont Park and the parade. The parade, man, in and of itself, is super long. Uh, I used to come here before I even lived here. Uh, my ex-husband and I would come here for Pride Weekend, and he loved parades. I spent uh, grades 5 through 12 in the marching band, concert band and marching band. So all those Christmas parades, all those homecoming parades. And then after that, you throw in about 25 years in radio broadcasting where you try and hit every podunk town's christmas parade that you can you gotta have candy you gotta have throws or else the kids are gonna look at you like what are you doing creeper uh so i'm paraded out that being said i'm on my softball leagues board one of them anyway and um it's my job in the capacity that i fill to oversee everything that the softball league does with pride weekend so i had to deal with that organizing uh, volunteers for the booth space and uh, having signups and decorating. And then there's the parade stuff too. So there I was again yesterday morning, 9 a.m., picking up a vehicle to uh, include in the parade and getting in the parade lineup by 10.30. I think it was by 11 o'clock we had to. By the time we got there, it's 10.30 and it's jam-packed already and just a fluster. Um only to do all that rushing to get there so that you can wait for a long time. Parade starts rolling at noon. However, if you're in row, or were we in row E? We were in row E, A, B, C, D, E. We didn't start moving, I don't believe, until about 2 o'clock, I want to say. That's a lot of waiting, a lot of hurry up and waiting, right? It's okay. We're all hanging out with folks, uh, the uh, Lululemon folks and the Front Runners, Atlanta Front Runners uh, Running Club folks were there, having a great time on their flow with fantastic music. It was kind of one of those days, too, where like, if the sun wasn't out, it was chilly. And the sun wasn't out a whole lot yesterday. I don't get those dudes, those running dudes and their Speedos. And oh, yeah, the Mr. Misters, the M-I-S-T-R. I think that's a uh, Prep Truvada spinoff. Anyway, they're a like a pharmacy spinoff or something like that. Anyway, the Mr. Misters were out there too, like like in next to nothing, just all buff and in their little banana hammocks. And I'm over there freezing and wishing I had wore my hoodie and I had a long sleeve shirt on and a hat and jeans. Anyway, that was uh that was my weekend. Hopefully you uh, got to enjoy some of the festivities. I'm not gonna lie. I know conservatives love to talk about how we're grooming children to yada 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 yada. I actually get such a chill, such a jolt, such an emotional rush seeing families with their kids all on the parade route enjoying the Pride Parade. I really do. And maybe it's just that I was that kid of the 70s and 80s who couldn't tell anybody my secret. And kids are empowered now who may be in that same circumstance to celebrate diversity even if they're not out they're just able to celebrate that others who are get to enjoy life without limits 
and free of judgment if they surround themselves by people who are judgment-free. It was just encouraging. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like all the kids that were all in the route were probably you know going to be gay or anything like that. No, I just think it's encouraging as, a, as an uncle to several nephews and nieces uh, it's it's awesome that you know those kids love you for who you are and not for what you are. Air quotes. There are parents who might be gay and have kids. I dated a guy once who had a kid. Kid was awesome. It was cool. No big deal. Just not not a big deal. Uh, but but the you know again the the usual pushback from the right is that we're, we're grooming kids to turn them gay. And a lot of folks had signs out this weekend, too. I was really encouraged by that, too. A lot of folks making sure to point out that, you know, there's not a movement to turn a kid gay, just a movement to let gay kids know that they are safe, that there is safety and a future, that it literally, I like the old quote, it gets better. Because it does. I mean, I always thought it was ironic that gay kids are the ones called sissies, especially the boys. The boys are called sissies. The The tomboys who might grow up to be lesbian, they're actually tough. <laughs> I joke with my lesbian friends all the time, you know, about how tough they are. And like uh, my friend Jen, she uh, made it to the uh, Asana Softball League's Hall of Fame she and uh, one of her teammates, they brought their Jeeps out to be in the parade with us. And she was showing me her motorcycle. And I said, what is it with lesbians and motorcycles? It's such a, you just, you know, you, know, you don't think women in motorcycles. But she had a, she was showing me a nice motorcycle. Now, my mama would never, never let me ride one of those. My Uncle Jimmy used to come to town to visit us. and She got mad when Uncle Jimmy took me on a short little ride down the driveway on the motorcycle. Yeah. That's the difference I joke between like lesbians and gay men. My mama wouldn't let me ride a motorcycle and lesbians are like, let's go get us one. Anyway, my point was, I always thought it was ironic that gay boys are called sissies because if you ask me, there are no more emotionally toughened kids in society than the closeted gay kid that survives. And that's why... We talk about letting kids know that whatever their internal struggle is, that there are resources and there are people who listen and compassionate people who understand what they've gone through, people who themselves, when they were kids, struggled with the very same things, and that we're here for them, not to groom them, but to welcome them for whoever they are. We know that the data shows that suicide spikes amongst the LGBTQIA plus youth population in this country. And we aim to get rid of that. That's, to me, the most pro-life posture, sorry conservatives, that you could take. Anyway, I didn't intend to do an entire segment on gay pride over the weekend. But, uh, oh, you know what? One more lesbian little haha. Uh, <laughs> and if you're offended, I apologize. I'm just trying to be funny. Uh, let's, you know, laugh at each other a little bit more. Laugh at me if you'd like. Um, my friend Stephanie, uh, who was my first quote unquote girlfriend back in elementary school. I mean, we literally held hands. We may have kissed fifth grade. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, Stephanie is, you know, she's a lesbian. She is a settled down, uh, got dachshund dogs, lives in the country outside Augusta. 
lesbian. Love her to pieces, man. And so I sent her this uh, tweet, somebody, it was a, a Simon Holland uh, tweeted, people making fun of my cargo shorts until they need a ratchet set or a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> I laughed because I sent this to her and I said, I don't know why, but you came to mind. She laughed. She totally understood. And when I was hanging out with her and Shirley uh, and, and some friends of ours uh, over the summer camping, there was Stephanie in her cargo shorts. And I believe some Crocs, too. And I tried not to judge her too hard on that. Anyway, let's pivot away from that to uh, a little blurb that I thought was pretty interesting. I thought we'd leave the show with today. Well, other than the gay pride rant that I just went eight minutes about. How about Herschel Walker holding on to like $4.5 million in his campaign coffers? According to the Jolton AJC Today, financial disclosures released over the weekend show that Herschel has spent more than $65,000 in legal fees since April. Most of those expenses came after reports of an accusation that Walker directed more than half a million dollars in campaign contributions to one of his businesses. Wow. Uh, Emails first obtained by the Daily Beast and then confirmed by the AJC reported that Walker asked a Montana billionaire, fellow by the name of Dennis Washington, for $600,000 donation. And Walker told him to wire about $535,000 of that to a company he runs called HR Talent. Uh, according to the Jolt, an aide to Washington said the money was ultimately returned upon request. Washington asked for the refund when he realized the destination for the cash was to Walker's personal account and not to his campaign. Uh, let's see more about this. Walker still hasn't commented on the transaction, and several of his former staffers declined requests over the weekend to explain the legal expenses. Uh, it says here that he's also, or his campaign's also refunded about $45,000 in contributions to some other donors over the last three months after writing $15,600 in refund checks during the previous quarter. Um, under the federal election law, campaign committee can hold Pat on funds or spend them on gifts to charity and political organizations, though the money can't be used to personally benefit the candidate. Walker's account, by the way, this is the one that got me. Could you live off of $15,000 a month? I mean, I could. Uh, Walker's accounts collect about $15,000 in interest a month. So he, he doing nothing, just hanging on to that money. His campaign makes $15,000 easy. Just, just in interest. Um, the last little note in the jolt about this, the former football star was the sole statewide Republican to lose in last year's midterm, falling to Raphael Warnock after a scandal play campaign. Some of his GOP critics worry his robust campaign account is a sign he could run for office again. I mean, I'm not going to say never, but let's remember a couple of things. Uh, number one, Governor Brian Kemp's going to run in 2026 against John Ossoff. I can't see Herschel Walker waiting to 2028 to run against Raphael Warnock again, but maybe. He is, uh, from what I remember, uh, enrolled again at the University of Georgia to complete his degree. Don't know if that's being done virtually, but I will say this. This is where I remind you, by the way, I'm a real estate agent. I'm a realtor. His uh, wife, Julie Blanchard, uh, owned a home on uh, the 900 block of Mount Perrin Road here in Atlanta and listed it in September for $1.45 million. By the way, they've since reduced the price to $1.35 million. If anybody's interested, I'm glad to take you on a tour of this uh, lovely three-bed, three-and-a-half-bath home with about just under... 3,000 square feet, again, on the 900 block of Mount Perrin Road in Northwest Atlanta. I say that because if they're selling that house, they don't have a residence here. 
if he's going to run for Senate again, would he be running for Senate in a state that they don't have a residence in? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem to have stopped them last time under technicality, but just thought I'd point that out. Okay, segment one in the books. Uh, what else are we going to be covering today? Ooh, 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 new polling, new Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility, a.k.a. Cop City Polling. And by the way, this one isn't statewide. This is just City of Atlanta residents. Uh, let me tease you a little bit. Mayor Dickens ain't going to like these numbers. Uh, we've got that to talk about. Starting to see some media complicity congealing here with the whole Israel, Palestine, Hamas, Gaza situation. Oh, and next, Clarence Thomas flew under the radar last week because of Israel and Hamas and Gaza and all that stuff. But this caught my attention. We'll get to that next on The Ron Show when it returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday. You hear it in my voice, don't you? I had something hit me Friday afternoon, I think after I did my show Friday. Sinusy, drainy, the throat was kind of achy. I'm like, oh man, this is not the time for that. I was literally going into Pride Weekend and all the stuff I had to do. And yeah, so um, let's see, we've been doing antihistamine. And I'm a big believer, by the way. This is this is 25 plus years or whatever in the radio business talking. I tend to not get sore throats or scratchy throats or lose my voice because I eat fresh pineapple. Fresh pineapple is like a natural... Uh, sticky gummy lubricant not even a lubricant it's kind of a sticky gummy coating for the throat uh, i don't like sore throat spray in general um anything with any sort of medicinal so uh the pineapple first of all i love the taste of pineapple uh great vitamin c and enzymes to help you fight off whatever your funk is and again kind of coach the throat so that when you are uh, either sleeping at night or you know up all day coughing 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 it kind of protects your throat from getting tore up. So I think, anyway, uh, I, I may not sound like I'm all that healthy, but I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Uh, I was going through some headlines before I started working on the show today, and I got a late start, so I apologize if we're kind of railing right through some stuff, and it just sounds like I'm ill-prepared. I promise you, I did have an agenda. Uh, I just kind of wanted to blow it up a little bit because uh, we're keeping an eye on the whole house speaker thing. Jim Jordan, really? Anyway, um, here's one that crossed my radar. Uh, I saw it on Twitter uh, as it was shared, and um, I raced right to Daily Cause, dailycause.com. That is a liberal, progressive blog and has been around for quite a while. Uh, Joan McCarter wrote this, and she makes a pretty valid point that in general, Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, has been flying under the radar for even more egregious impeachable actions because we've got a budding war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. Uh, The headline, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas begs to be impeached. And she dives right in on this blog that uh, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, Associate Justice Clarence Thomas, caught a lucky break with the news cycle dominated by the attack on Israel and the collapse of the Republican-controlled House of Representatives. That meant that the latest blockbuster story from ProPublica about the conservative's court benefactor, Leonard Leo, as well as Thomas hijinks, went relatively unreported. Yeah, she's right about that. There was a a ProPublica piece uh, that came out last week that talked about Leonard Leo, who is basically the architect of the uh, right's Supreme Court supermajority. So there's that. 
And uh, I'll share that ProPublica piece in today's show notes at ronchoatl.com. It's a little wonky. Uh, it's kind of murky and really just not worth me sitting here bloviating about. But Clarence uh, obviously has ties to Georgia. And there was a blurb in Jones' piece in the Daily Cost today, and I'll share that in the show notes as well, that uh, I thought was pretty noteworthy that she pulled from ProPublica. On a chilly day in March 2017, about six weeks into Trump's presidency, Leo arranged for a select group to have a private audience with Justice Clarence Thomas at the U.S. Supreme Court. Did you hear me? A private audience for a select group with Clarence Thomas inside the Supreme Court. The attendees were a group of high net worth donors who had been organized by billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Singer to marshal huge resources toward electing Republicans and pushing conservative causes. Did you hear that? That's right. To marshal huge resources toward electing Republicans and pushing conservative causes. That afternoon, the donors spoke with Thomas. The previously unreported meeting was described by a person familiar with it and corroborated by planning documents. That's Leonard Leo and Paul Singer using the actual Supreme Court building and a justice to fundraise for Republicans and conservative causes. As Joan McCarter writes, those causes include legal challenges to voting rights, to abortion rights, to marriage equality, to environmental and consumer protections that will work their way through the courts to be decided by Thomas and the other justices that Leonard Leo, as ProPublica points out, put there. And I hate to sound like the ShamWow guy from cable TV commercials, but wait, there's more. Joan McCarter continues, by the way, by saying that the court will consider at least four such cases this session in which Thomas' benefactor, fellow by the name of, maybe you've heard of him, Harlan Crow, has an interest. And no, Joan McCarter reports that Thomas hasn't recused from any of them. Now, let's remind you who Harlan Crow is. He's the uh, Texas billionaire that has been chummy with Clarence Thomas, not since they were kids, no, since Clarence became a U.S. conservative Supreme Court justice. We're talking about the uh, the private school tuition for one of Thomas's uh, relative kids. I think it was a nephew. Uh, we're talking about the sweetheart real estate deal. You know, the one where he bought two pieces of property that Clarence's family owned, I think, in Savannah. And one of those pieces of property his mom lives on and still gets to live in the house that the property's on at no expense to her. I mean, that's literally a sweetheart deal. Oh, and by the way, Harlan Crow, uh, or the the company that he owns that owns the property, even fixed up the property for her, and she still gets to live on it absolutely rent-free. Yeah, four cases that benefit Harlan Crow coming to court this session, and Clarence Thomas has yet to recuse. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, it was on yesterday's date, October 15, 1991, that Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court. And if you're doing the quick math with me, that is 32 years of free swag. Ha! By the way, it was Friday that uh, Saul Cornell at Slate.com filed this story. A headline, the Supreme Court can repair Clarence Thomas' greatest folly. First paragraph, in November, the Supreme Court will take up United States versus Rahimi, a Texas case in which the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit ruled that the government may not disarm domestic abusers unless the Supreme Court reigns in the Fifth Circuit and restores some measure of rationality to its ever-expanding gun rights jurisprudence. The Second Amendment will now protect perpetrators of domestic violence. 
Next paragraph, Rahimi is one of dozens of decisions decided since the Supreme Court struck down a century-old gun control law in New York State, Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. The majority opinion in that case, authored by Justice Clarence Thomas, rejected the standard tools of constitutional analysis used by courts for the past century and instead substituted his own version of text, history, and tradition to determine the constitutionality of regulating firearms. Although Bruin invokes the authority of history, the version of the past it presents is almost unrecognizable to scholars familiar with the history of the founding period. In Bruin, Thomas endorsed the questionable claim that the Second Amendment had been treated by lower courts as a, quote, second-class right. In reality, the Supreme Court has now bestowed on the Second Amendment a range of protections enjoyed by no other right in American law. Ironically, the current originalist version of the Second Amendment guiding the court is an invention of Thomas and has little connection to text, history, or tradition. I'll have that in today's show notes as well, back after this. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So what I'm about to tell you may be breaking news that you're not going to get anywhere else. If you rely on local television or print media, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution ain't reporting on this. The folks uh, at Data for Progress did uh, a new Atlanta poll over the Cop City vote referendum. They tweeted this uh, this morning, a majority of voters in Atlanta, 59%, support a ballot initiative to determine whether the city should lease land to the Atlanta Police Foundation for a police training facility. Mm-hmm. We'll link to that, and you'll have that uh, at ronshowatl.com in today's show notes. Let's get to some of the bullet points. A majority of Atlanta voters believe the city should hold a vote to decide the controversy over Cop City. When asked how they would vote for the proposed ballot measure, Atlanta voters would vote to repeal the lease authorizing the land for use by the Atlanta Police Foundation by a more than five-point margin. The next tweet from Data for Progress. Voters also oppose the construction of a new jail in Fulton County by an 11-point margin. Mm. Two-thirds. 66% of Atlanta, city of Atlanta voters, and by the way, 79% Democrats, 63% independents, prefer to address the root causes of overcrowding, overbuilding new jails. And now you may have a better sense why there's so much being thrown at the route to a ballot referendum initiative in the first place. They got to do whatever they can to not get this on a ballot for fear that those results might show up when that referendum measure does hit a ballot. Let me give you a taste of the blog written by Annika Dandekar at Data for Progress. From September 15th through 18th, 2023, Data for Progress conducted polling in partnership. By the way, those dates were before citizens got doxxed. All our information thrown up on the World Wide Web for everyone to see after we had signed that referendum petition. Okay, back to Annika's piece here. From September 15th through 18th, 2023, Data for Progress conducted polling in partnership with the Vote to Stop Cop City Coalition regarding Atlanta voters' attitudes toward the construction of a police training facility in Wilani Forest, known as Cop City. 
as well as recent legal events pertaining to protesters and overcrowding and deaths at Fulton County Jail. Annika writes, we find that the majority of Atlanta voters believe they should be able to voice their views on the Cop City issue directly by holding a vote on the ballot and a plurality would vote to repeal the land lease to the Atlanta Police Foundation if it were on the ballot. The survey reveals low awareness overall of activist civil rights struggles. Annika continues, we also find that majorities of Atlanta voters oppose the construction of a new jail and widely support addressing root causes of overcrowding at the existing jail. Now, I will point out, by the way, this is me, not Annika talking. I will point out that while this poll is of Atlanta voters, the Fulton County Jail is obviously a Fulton County issue. Not all Atlanta voters are Fulton County residents, and not all Fulton County residents are Atlanta voters. So it would be interesting to see what a full Fulton County poll said about a new jail facility, right? Uh, Next paragraph, Atlanta groups have faced numerous setbacks by city officials in their efforts to get a referendum about Cop City on the ballot, with Mayor Andre Dickens calling a campaign for a referendum futile. To understand how voters view the referendum in general, we asked whether voters should be able to determine how the land the city has leased for the police training facility should be used, or if the city should abide by elected officials' decision to lease the land to the Atlanta Police Foundation. Annika writes, we find that a majority of Atlanta voters believe a vote should be held to determine how the land is used by a 26-point margin. This includes 73% of Democrats, 51% of independents. The majority of Republican voters in the city respond that the city should defer to its elected officials' decision on the lease. Now, I'm no idiot. I know that this was done by Data for Progress. That is a progressive organization, and they worked with the vote to stop Cop City. So I want to pay attention to how they phrase the question because there's such a thing in polling as a leading question when you really kind of lean the person you're polling a certain way with how you ask the question. So you had three options, uh, don't know being one of them, and the citizens of Atlanta should be able to vote to determine what happens with the land. This controversial decision was made without incorporating public input. You either strongly agree or strongly disagree, right? The disagree would be, Atlanta's elected officials have made a decision regarding this land. Our representative democracy cannot function if each decision is questioned and delayed by activists. See, I think that's a fair framing of both sides of the argument. We go back to the Stop Cop City framing. The citizens of Atlanta should be able to vote to determine what happens with the land. This controversial decision was made without incorporating public input. Those of us who have seen these public hearings for public comment know that the input wasn't incorporated. It was shown. They endured it. It just wasn't incorporated. And again, back to the contrarian point of view. Atlanta's elected officials have made a decision regarding this land. Our representative democracy cannot function if each division is questioned and delayed by activists. I I believe both ways of going with this question are framed in a way that kind of bolsters both arguments. So here's how it broke down. All likely voters. Among all likely voters, 59% believe that the citizens of Atlanta should be able to vote to determine what happens with the land at Wilani Forest. 33% believe that the way city council voted to lease the land for a public safety training facility should go on. 59 to 33 margin. That is a 26-point margin. By the way, 8%, just so they don't know. 
Among Democrats, 73% believe the citizens should be able to vote to determine what happens with the land. 19% of Democrats disagree. 8% of Democrats don't know. Amongst independents, still a majority. 51% believe the citizens of Atlanta should be able to vote to determine what happens with the land. 40% believe that the elected officials' decision should carry weight. Amongst Republicans, 18%, a mere 18% believe that the citizens of Atlanta should be able to vote. Here we see it again. Republicans don't like when people get to vote. (laughs) I caricaturize a little bit, but mm, is it not true? Of course, that leaves 76% of Republicans who believe that what city council decided, despite the overwhelming majority of public input, should hold water. That is a 58-point gap, by the way. Amongst Democrats, it goes the exact opposite 54% gap with uh, the folks who are looking for the referendum to be on the ballot actually holding. And Republicans, it's the exact, almost nearly identically exact opposite. 54% one way for Democrats, 58% the other way for Republicans. Data for Progress writes, Annika for Data for Progress writes, we then tested the ballot language to question, in question, asking if voters would vote for or against the measure with a vote for the measure repealing the city's lease to the Atlanta Police Foundation and a vote against the measure indicating that the lease to the Atlanta Police Foundation should remain in place. When Atlanta voters are presented with the ballot language listed below, a plurality respond that they would vote for the measure by a five-point margin. Shall the city council repeat City of Atlanta Ordinance 21-0-0367 authorizing the ground lease of 381 acres of forested land to the Atlanta Police Foundation for the construction of a $90 million training facility. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Annika writes again, we then re-asked the ballot initiative question with additional clarification on what for and an against vote would mean. We find that the five-point margin remains unchanged with this clarification. 44% of Atlanta voters say they would vote in favor of the measure. 52% of Democrats, 39% of independents, and 21% of Republicans in Atlanta would vote for the ballot measure, repealing the city's lease to the APF. 18% are undecided on the issue. So amongst the, I would vote for the measure, you have 44% of likely voters would vote for the ballot measure. 39% would vote against it if it were on the ballot. That leaves 18% undecided. So it's not a slam dunk that if this were to be on the ballot, that it would pass. There is a plurality, but not a 50-plus majority. There's that 18% undecided. Again, uh, 52% amongst Democrats to 29% with 19% undecided. Independents, 39% to 41%. Independents are actually slightly against, with 20% undecided. And Republicans polled, if it were on the ballot, would vote against it in overwhelming numbers. 73% would vote against, 21% voting for. Annika writes again, we also asked Atlanta voters about the validity of a variety of statements that have been made regarding the protest and law enforcement activity around the construction of the Cop City facility. Amid contradictory and ambiguous information from officials, especially regarding the Georgia State Patrol's fatal shooting of protester Manuel Tortuguita Tehran, we find high rates of Atlanta voters saying that they have not heard enough to say whether many of these statements are true or false. Among statements where most voters 
have been heard enough to say whether it is true or false Atlanta voters believe. Point one. The majority of those demonstrating against Cop City are not militant anarchists. By a 23-point margin, Atlanta voters believe Atlanta's elected officials have inaccurately represented details, such as finances surrounding the Cop City facility to citizens, by a 14-point margin. Atlanta voters believe peaceful protesters have been wrongfully arrested by a 12-point margin, and Atlanta voters believe Georgia and Atlanta law enforcement officials have violated activists' rights to demonstrate peacefully by a six-point margin. Annika's blog continues, Notably, as the city refuses to count referendum petition signatures, 40% of Atlanta voters believe that the Vote to Stop Cop City coalition collected enough signatures to get a vote on the ballot regarding the land lease to the APF, while only 10% believe this is false. Half of Atlanta voters haven't formed an opinion on that one way or the other. Okay, got a few more minutes to talk about this polling. And by the way, again, all in today's show notes, ronshowatl.com. They asked Atlanta voters whether they support or oppose a proposal to build a new Fulton County Jail facility, which would be paid for in part by raising property taxes. Well, that sort of poisons the pill already, right? Majorities of Democrats and independents, uh, as well as a third of Republicans in the city, oppose this proposal to construct a new jail. So here's how they question this. Some Fulton County lawmakers are proposing the construction of a new $1.7 billion jail facility. The construction of the jail would be funded in part by raising property taxes. Do you support or oppose this proposal? So there is strongly uh, strongly support, somewhat support, don't know, somewhat opposed, strongly opposed. Those are the five options. Uh, As far as the support goes, all likely voters. 12%. 29% somewhat support. So that gives us 41% support amongst all likely voters. As far as somewhat or strongly oppose, that is 52% with not much in the don't know column. Uh, Republicans are the only ones overwhelmingly supporting the building of a new jail facility. Now here's the part that I love. This next question, two-thirds of Atlanta voters say root causes of jail overcrowding must be addressed now and not by expanding carceral state. The Fulton County Jail, also known as Rice Street, currently holds more than twice the number of inmates it was originally built to hold. Ten inmates have died in custody of the jail this year alone. When thinking about how to address overcrowding at the jail, which of the following approaches would you prefer lawmakers to take, even if neither is exactly right? On the left, you have the option, lawmakers should address the root causes of overcrowding immediately. They must invest in community support programs, set affordable bonds for nonviolent charges, and release those with petty or misdemeanor charges while they await their court date. 66% said that. 29%, these are all likely voters, said lawmakers should build new jail facilities and hire more staff in the coming years. They must accommodate higher numbers of inmates and the growing population of Atlanta while ensuring criminals cannot get back onto our streets. Again, it was 66% say, uh, maybe we should just not have so many people in jail and not make bonds so expensive that folks for crimes that aren't violent and maybe releasing the the petty or misdemeanor folks, 66% said that. 29% said, give us another prison, let's hire some more people, let's lock some more people up. Amongst Democrats, 79% uh, 
believe the way to deal with jail overcrowding is to stop holding people with ridiculously high bonds for nonviolent charges and let the petty misdemeanor charges go. 79% of Democrats, 63% of independents, and a quarter of Republicans. <laughs> I mean, it's so, the disparity is just, ugh, it's unreal, right? The frustrating part of all of this for someone who is, you know, left of center like me and kind of thinks, you know, okay, maybe not holding the, the petty misdemeanor folks in jail and uh, maybe not having ridiculously high bonds for nonviolent offenses is the way to go. The problem is we live in a society that for decades has been building a prison industry and it's hard to turn that around. And so anytime someone with any progressive thought in their mind becomes a district attorney and tries to go that route where you just don't hold petty minor offenses to jail for long term, they catch a lot of flack because they're letting criminals back on the streets. By now, we're aware that alleged criminals, according to Republicans, should only be able to roam freely if they're running for president of the United States. Final segment of the Ron Show for Monday. And what a crappy sports week we had last week, right? Between the Braves doing their thing, not doing much of their thing, actually, and whimpering into the offseason a lot earlier than a lot of us expected. And then Brock Bowers gets hurt, and we find out today he of the University of Georgia football program had a what is called a tightrope surgery on a high ankle sprain, which means he's going to be out, what did they say, four to eight weeks? That ain't good. I mean, they're the number one ranked team in the country. Their roster is stacked, but he's clearly a difference maker. I'm not so sure they beat Auburn without Brock Bowers a couple weeks ago. And Auburn's just Auburn. They're not that great this year. Georgia kind of had an underwhelming win at Vanderbilt Saturday. And I try to defend them. I mean, they're playing in a construction zone. The visitor's locker room at Vanderbilt Stadium right now is a tent under bleachers. Yay. So, yeah, that's 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 kind of tough. You know, it's hard. And it's also hard to get up to playing Vanderbilt. It's essentially a home game in Nashville because Georgia fans tend to show up in better numbers. I don't know. It's just kind of an underwhelming scene. It's hard to get amped up for that. And the Falcons did what the Falcons did yesterday. And I've been on and off the Desmond Ritter bandwagon enough to, to know that I'm kind of tired of hopping on and off of it. It might be time to start looking at the backup quarterback, who, by the way, you're paying a lot of money for to play. Um, Taylor Heineke has a much more expensive contract than um, Desmond Ritter does. But if the team believes he's the future at quarterback, I guess you got to keep rolling him out there. It just sucks. The defense is playing really well. I'm not seeing enough of a run game, honestly. And I think that's a lot of. I mean, Arthur Smith is a running quarter, a running coach, right? That's that's what he wanted. He wanted, you know, emphasize the run. But I don't feel like we've done enough of that. We're maybe asking Desmond Ritter to do too much. You didn't come here to listen to me talk about sports, so here's some uh, horse racing that I'll talk to you about. How about Jim Jordan? Jim Jordan is uh, lined up to take a House Speaker vote tomorrow. And there are, I don't know, anywhere from a dozen and a half, maybe two dozen vulnerable Republicans, the kind that uh, former Swing District Representative Charlie Dent of Pennsylvania speaks of when he says, it'll be enormously problematic for the Republicans in those districts that Joe Biden won. Swing District Republicans are going to have Jim Jordan and Donald Trump draped around their necks in the 2024 election. It's a lot easier to go after Jim Jordan for the events of January 6th and his role in it with Trump than just about any other Republican. 
I mean, I think you could probably throw Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene in there, too, but those two are not house speaker material. No, Marge is in her prom dress waiting on her mango meat muffin to invite her to the dance. MTG, would you be my VP? Uh, now, I will say this. I think it was about an hour and a half ago on Axios that uh, Tegan Goddard reports four House Republicans walked away from conversations with Speaker nominee Jim Jordan under the impression he'll allow a floor vote on linking Ukraine funding with Israel funding if he wins the gavel. Yeah, this came from Axios. Many hardline House Republicans are pushing for the U.S. to stop providing funding to Ukraine, but allowing a House floor vote could allow funding to pass thanks to significant help from Democrats. Pretty interesting. Uh, by the way, speaking of Israel, there is an organization called If Not Now. They are American Jews organizing to end U.S. support for Israel's apartheid system and demand equality, justice, and a thriving future for all. That's how they describe themselves on Twitter or X or whatever the hell we're calling it now. Uh, they have now blocked four or more doors today to the White House and uh, are demonstrating for a ceasefire. It's going to be interesting to watch as right-wing pundits call them anti-Semites. Again, they are American Jews if of the organization called If Not Now. And uh, speaking of distorting things, there's been a lot of distortion between what what is Palestinian versus what is Hamas. Going to war with Hamas is not going to war with Palestinians, and yet the media has been really sloppy about this. I even last week we pointed this out when Greg Bluestein did that uh, in a tweet that he, by the way, is still kept up, uh, referring to pro-Palestinian protests on the campus of the University of Georgia. He made it sound more like. Uh, pro-Hamas protests in the tweet. And I don't know why he just hasn't taken it down. Why haven't you taken it down, Greg? Um, or if you want to retweet the letter, that's fine. But like, come on, it's not Hamas that folks are showing up to campus to support. See, here's here's how the uh, BBC handled it. Now, before we go, earlier on BBC News, we reported on some of the pro-Palestinian demonstrations at the weekend. We spoke about several demonstrations across Britain during which people voiced their backing for Hamas. We accept that this was poorly phrased and was a misleading description of the pro-Palestinian demonstrations. And then there's this, y'all. Uh, in fact, I retweeted this at Rancho ATL on Twitter or X or whatever the hell you're calling it. Uh, the Guardian fired cartoonist Steve Bell after 40 years working there over a Netanyahu caricature, which they likened to the Merchant of Venice. That is the same Guardian newspaper, by the way, that admonished Muslim terrorists for attacking a French newspaper for cartoonist caricaturizations of Muhammad, by the way. Hey, I want to leave you on a good note. Doesn't this sound good? But what they don't understand is that I am willing to go to jail if that's what it takes for our country to win and become a democracy again. Yeah, I'm all for that. No, wait, hang on. No, seriously. First of all, by the way, Donald Trump uh, did a stump today. He's sweating a lot and a lot of slurred speech. That we should check on that guy. I mean, he's in his late 70s, right? I mean, we got to check on these folks, these septuagenarians and octogenarians. Got to check on these guys. I mean, what's he, what's he been busy doing lately, except just, you know, stumping? He's not been actually president or anything like that, dealing with crises across the world. He's just showing up and speaking off the cuff. Seems to be wearing him out. No, that's music to my ears, though. Donald Trump is willing to go to jail so that America can be a democracy again. Okay, 
That means no electoral college. Donald Trump goes to jail, no electoral college. Is that a deal? It sounds like a win-win. After all, that is democracy. The electoral college isn't. I know, we're a representative republic. But he said he wanted to make America a democracy, and he may have to go to jail to make it happen. If he goes to jail, then we should get to be a democracy. Maybe get rid of gerrymandering and Trump in jail and ending of gerrymandering? Oh, and no electoral college? Say it ain't so. What a gorgeous place this would be. Back tomorrow, the Ron Show returns 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes, ronshowatl.com. See ya.